0: Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners, with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org.
1: Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. In this episode, we visit with Vanessa Riley, author of Island Queen, a novel based on the true life story of Dorothy Kerwin Thomas, a free woman of color who rose from slavery to become one of the most successful and powerful landowners in the colonial West Indies. Born into slavery, Dorothy, called Dahl, bought her freedom from her Irish planter father and became an entrepreneur, merchant, hotelier, and planter whose wealth spanned from the islands of the West Indies to the drawing rooms of London. She defied the rules and conventions of the time, both as a former enslaved person and a woman. New York Times and USA Today bestselling author Stephanie Dray had this to say about the book. Island Queen is the magnificently reconstructed life story of Dorothy Dahl Kerwin Thomas, whose fascinating legacy of grit and success desperately deserves to be better known. With lush prose and raw emotion, Riley vividly captures the complexity of bringing to life a time of rebellion impossibility my name is landis wade and i'm the host of this podcast i'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories and i really appreciate you being here with us today you can find out more about me at my author website landiswade.com and i'd love to have you visit for all things related to the podcast check out charlottereaderspodcast.com you can find a lot of great resources there we have show notes of every episode with pictures of the authors, photographs of their book covers, links to their websites and social media, and more. And we have the community blog there. It's a collection of readerly and writerly content provided by writers in the community and authors who've been on the show. And you can sign up for the book report at our website Podcast.com. We send it out every two weeks. It's free. We don't spam you. That takes way too much time. We just keep you updated on what's going on with the podcast, provide a dose of inspiration some free content from time to time, some links and other fun stuff related to the uh, reading and writing world. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a collection of author-hosted podcasts putting out uh, this kind of content to a worldwide audience. And you can find us pretty much anywhere you like to listen to your podcast. You can also check out our Patreon page, that's patreoncom com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is a place where we provide exclusive content uh, for our supporters. For just a few dollars a month, we provide access to exclusive audio interviews between me and authors who have appeared on the show, where they share their wisdom about uh, writing and the business of writing. It's a great way to get a good education if you're a lifelong learner like I am. But enough with this prologue. Let's meet today's author. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thank you.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, glad to have you here, and congratulations on the book.
0: I'm very excited. Uh, Dorothy is definitely a tale that needs to be told.
1: Yes, yeah, great. Well, I found the book to be very interesting uh, and and, and raise some interesting questions, too, for our discussion today. But before we get to that, I'd like to talk just a minute about uh, you because you have an, a very interesting work-slash-writing life. I mean, in in addition to being a novelist, you hold a doctorate in mechanical engineering and a master's in industrial engineering, and an engineering management from Stanford University, you earned a BS and an MS in mechanical engineering from Penn State. You speak at STEM events. And yet, before we even talk about this work of historical fiction, you've written, I, I was counting in the romance genre since 2013, you've published about 25 self-published romance books and two recently with Kensington Press. And I'm just curious... How does a doctorate in mechanical engineering who lectures at science and technology events find herself writing romance on such a prolific scale?
0: Um, You always have to have a a way to relax. You always have to have another way to think about things. And for me, uh, writing, history, uh, that's always been my other thing. Um, At Penn State, I was only like two classes away from a second minor in Western Civilization uh it It has always been my thing, um, and when I was growing up, I was good at two things. I was good at math and writing, and my mother always told me to be able to pay my bills And when I was growing up, it wasn't a possibility for a little girl from South Carolina to be a full-time author. Um, it just didn't seem possible. It, it, it seemed like one of those things, magic or lightning striking for someone to be recognized and to get those types of opportunities. But uh, math is math. Math is one plus one equals two. And you can do that and you can excel. And, and I've been very fortunate going to both Penn State University and Stanford University.
1: Yeah, but I'm looking at these series here. You've got The Bargain Romance, about five books. The Challenges of the Souls Romance are about eight or nine, ten of those. you got The Regency Romance, uh, and then two recently with uh, with Kensington. And uh, those have to be somewhat different than this book you wrote uh, of historical fiction.
0: Luckily, they're all set in the same world, so uh, the Georgian and Regency world, so from 1750 to about 1830. Um, is is my level of expertise. And for the past six years, I've been uncovering facts. I've been structuring the world. So I I'm, uh, I'm hoping to be one of the foremost experts um, in this particular time frame, particularly for peoples of uh, the the trans uh, transaction translation, um, migration of peoples of color during this time frame. Um, and it's it's been, Eye-opening and 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 sometimes tearful and joyful, but this journey of discovering where people were and how they moved about in this time frame, because many times you find when you think of England or London um, that. There's a disappearance of people of color. Many folks think that the, uh, the the especially you know you you see Pride and Prejudice and you know that's mm. one of my favorite series and there's a there's an episode where Darcy because I'm talking about the A and E version that's the only mm. good version <laughs> <laughs> where Darcy is looking for Lydia and Wickham and he's in this part of London and he's you know he's you know he's tired and he's this the little boy comes out and gives him a pitcher of water. That particular part of London, he should have seen at least one person of color because of where he was and where he was searching. But it's been, everything has been completely erased. And so part of this has been, you know, just for my own edification of just trying to figure out where were we? Because, you know, my my family's from Trinidad and Tobago. There's a a legacy of migration from India um, and other parts um, uh, my mother's side, we have the Irish side. So it's just, it's, we're a mix of all these different uh, entities. And you want to know where we were because we can't have just been kings and queens in Africa and then mysteriously dropped into the United States in
1: 1865. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, really. So, so these romances are, are, is it romance involving uh, people of color? Is it, is it a mix? Because you deal with this issue in your book about, uh, you know, the whites and the people of color having romances, you know, during that time period. So do you, do you address some of that? Cause if you do, it's kind of a foundation for what you wrote about with Dorothy.
0: Absolutely. Um, the majority, because there's no greater tension than that barrier, the racial barrier in this particular timeframe, because for people to find love across the color uh, lines, you have to be very sure of the, the person uh, you have to be able to weather the storm of acceptance on all sides um and those to me are uh, that's a fascinating dichotomy so the, i've been drawn to those types of, of romances uh that type of history and um particularly in england um the middle class the tradesmen's daughters when you had your 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 peers there's the first sons um always gets the money first sons it get, gets the title get the money Well, if you have two or three sons, you know, they come to the military and hopefully they'll get a bounty on the Navy. Uh, They go to the church, but they are limited to this access of money. So they oftentimes would go into the middle class, wealthy tradesman's daughter, though there was a, b- a bounty of wealthy tradesmen's daughters that uh, were women of color. Um, planters in the in the islands would send their girls to school and marriage. So when Jane Austen writes her very last novel about San- Sanditon, the wealthiest woman in the book is a mulatto woman from the West Indies. Mm-hmm. Um, n- Present day scholarship shows that she's drawing on some of her family history with the island of Antigua. Some of her uh, father's uh, very close friends owned plantations, owned slaves in Antigua. And so she's drawing that in when she writes Mansfield Park and things like that. So this is a secret to us but not a secret back in the day. And uh one of the things with Island Queen, we show the differences in the relationships. There is a very big difference when Dahl gets to choose whom she wants to love than when she is forced into circumstances. And this I want that that has to be very clear. And the way enslavement occurs in the islands is is somewhat different in the United, than the United States, and it also varies in privileges and rights in each of the colonies, each, each of the islands. That's another thing, people wanna agglomerate uh, and say, These are all. every island is the same, it's just a palm tree and a beach. No, every island is different, every people are different. And even just because of the, uh, the way they were inhabited, some islands are Portuguese, some islands are Dutch, some islands are French, some islands are Irish or English. Um, and that changes the structure of the peoples and the relationships.
1: Yeah, well, I noticed in reading the book that, uh, Dorothy had many relationships, some she didn't want to be in many that she did. She had a lot of children. Um, but I'd like to know just to back up a second, you wrote over 500 pages, uh, about this woman. Give us a little sketch for our listeners, uh, sort of, you know, who she was, um, so they can get a, get a feel for this, uh, dynamic individual that, uh, you know, really started out in one place and ended up in another.
0: Absolutely. So Dorothy was born on the island of Maserat. Um, her father was, uh, was a planter. Um, and at the time frame that she's born, there is a lot of upheaval and unrest in the islands. Um, you, you have the constant fighting and conquest, the shifting between the Portuguese, the Dutch, and the British, at times even the French. Um, and then when America gets its footing, it's trying to be down there and, 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 uh, and, 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 and in these particular um, battles. Um, but then there's another war that's going on, and that's between the Catholics. Um, and the the Church of England. Um, Every time the British took over an island, the Catholics were squeezed of their faith, they were taken of their properties. So you have all these battles for freedom, and then you have the the most fundamental battle for freedom, uh, that enslavement of people of African descent uh, in the islands. And so Dorothy has some privileges that are different than the other slave enslaved women because her father claims her. So um, uh, massacre and claims her. People know, and this is from the historical record, people know that she is his daughter. Um, so she's able to walk to town and to sell items and goods in town. Um, other enslaved people, uh, some of them have that privilege and some of them don't. Um, but she learns very early on the system of, of huckstering or enterprising and she's watching what her father is doing. Um, I firmly believe from everything I've read, her father really poured into her, He taught her mathematics. He taught her different things so that she could go on. And that's the basis of her business acumen. That's how she learns how to do things. And she literally saves up enough money from all of her enterprises so that she can not only buy her freedom, but the freedom of her family. And that was the, one of the core things. I, I found so many different uh, documents or court cases or, or legal pieces where she's literally um, trying, once she fi- finds a relative, she's trying to free them. She's trying to negotiate prices and whatnot in order to free them because she freedom is at her core.
1: I really was taken with her. And we're going to talk about the book cover in a second. But you said something in the end notes. Uh, you, you said that uh, she was undeniably beautiful by all standards. Could you could you speak to that?
0: Yes. Um, when you look at certain narratives, there is this portrayal of uh, African descended women, dark skinned women, as not being attractive. From all intensive records, Dorothy is is very dark skinned. Which, which actually surprised me, because typically when you look at these levels of mobility, the agency to, to whiteness is, is 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 a key um, to their mobility. So I was expecting a very fair-skinned mulatto or malatress. Um She's not. She's dark-skinned. So when she has no money, she has very little agency, but the record is very clear, men people are drawn to her. So she's got to be, in my opinion, has to be a a beauty and undeniably, no matter what your proclivities are, she is beautiful. And when they get to talk to her and they see this sharpness and brightness in her eyes, um, I just, she's, she's a magnet. She draws people to her. So to me, she's, she's undeniably beautiful. Um, Lapita level beautiful,
1: <laughs> and, and and that comes across in the book cover. I like to talk about the book cover sometimes. Mm-hmm. I know that as a traditionally published author, you don't get a lot of say in that, but in this particular cover, um, I'm I'm seeing, uh, you know, there's the character on the cover. Dorothy's on the cover, uh, or Dolly as, as she went by, mm-hmm. and what you see is bright colors like you might find in the Caribbean. Um, mm-hmm. You've got a hat that has (laughs) some plumes on it that must extend, you know, two or three feet and then some jewelry and so forth. And, you know, talk to us about how this hat was a sort of a symbol of, you know, how she carried herself once she did build up a little wealth.
0: Yeah. uh, So putting pieces of her life back together. So Dorothy left no diary, but She is flamboyant enough that other people in their diaries, in their papers, talked about her. And so she was known to be a a wonderful dresser. She was known to, um, uh, something I was reading was talking about, um, uh, just describing her hat or something like this. Uh, But when you research this time period, especially some of the artwork and the paintings, if you were a free woman of color, you could wear a hat or a free woman in general if you're white, uh, black, et cetera, if you were free, you wore a hat. If you were enslaved, your hair had to be covered in a in a scarf. And so the more I looked at these pictures and the more I'm lo- looking at these little tidbits that I'm finding of her life, I envision this woman very proudly wearing these hats, signature hats. Um, and so, you know, that that's a thing in the book. So her elevation... Um, is is also you see a change in, in what she's wearing. Um, this particular outfit uh, it's it's a late Georgian outfit, um, but you see the like you notice the jewelry, the, the the pearl earrings, all symbols of her wealth, and of course the gorgeous hats. And it's 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 interesting now they're uh, in the black church. There is a tradition. It was a tradition. Now everybody goes to church kind of casually. But we used to wear these really large hats. And it would used to be, I loved this part of church. It would be this parade of hats. So when I found these facts and and just picturing this woman, I just picture these beautiful hats uh, that she gathers from her travels, um that have just become her signature and so the cover I'm I'm happy William Morrow shared my vision wonderful young artist Tanya Engel, designed Dorothy um and then made the, the, all the different tweaks based on you know how I saw her and and things that I thought were important so I'm I'm very happy with the cover it's 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 amazing
1: yeah it's a great cover and, and listeners you can see it at uh, either her website or at our show notes dot um but just to, to be clear it didn't come quickly for her. I mean, she had to, I mean, when you talk about huckstering and walking to town, there was a lot of that that went on before she could raise the money to, to free 15 herself. or
0: 16 years, yeah, 15 yeah. Or 16 years.
1: Really worked hard. And then she set up a little business where she was, um, which had its, uh, moral, uh, questions about it too, where she was outsourcing, uh, women, um, from the brothels to, 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 to go to these homes and take care of them. And she'd get a little cut of what they did. But on the one hand, she was helping them get work, even though on the other hand, they might be having relationships uh, or selling themselves to the people they were working for. So a lot of, uh, maybe I'll come back, talk about some of the conflict in a minute, but I want to have you do a little reading here because this gives us a sense in the story. um, You know, we're, we're about 170 pages in, but we've got about 300 to go. So we're early still in her life. (laughs) Although uh, she has made it to the point where she's, Making some money, and she's going to go to the lawyer's office. And uh, I think this is the scene where. Uh, uh, so just to set, so Thomas is her.
0: Mr. Thomas is is the captain. She's I'm just sorry. recently met him, right? Um, and it, he's a solicitor background.
1: Solicitor right. Necklace is the uh, half brother. Half brother. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. We've got a scene here where a woman's going to a to a male dominated sort of law office where they only deal with, you know, men for the most part and she's going to bring her money there and uh she's brought along the captain. Um she doesn't she's not literate, right, but she can she can do numbers and she's pretty good with with math. So uh anything else you want to do to set set up where we are in the book at this point before you read this little section?
0: Sure. Um, so she's used some of her friends, uh, to actually negotiate manumissions. Manumissions is the process, particularly in the islands for one to be freed. So if someone was going to free an enslaved person, there are governmental fees that have to be paid. And then there's the actual payment amongst the the person, because once again, enslaved people are chattel they're property. So, um, and this is this is a the theme throughout the book. Getting your papers and keeping your papers to prove who you are is extremely important, because during that time frame, you could be reenslaved. Um, you fall into debt. Um, something happens. There's still kidnappings going on. It's, a, it's still a very brutal world. But Dorothy is managing to uh, uh, find her way, and this is a big scene for because she's hasn't seen her father in years. Um, And she is arranging once again for the freeing of not only herself, but of her siblings and her, her daughters. Men were talking, pointing to the squiggles like I wasn't in the room, but I was. I took my ledger back from Thomas and slammed it to the table. I have proof of my wages earned as Foden's housekeeper. Every bit and fourpence for you British guilders, for those that know Dutch. You can see my entries of payments and even Mr. Foden's initials, everything I earned as his housekeeper, plus the income from the housekeepers I hired out. Nicholas drummed the table. You illiterate whore. How could you ever have a ledger? Because of my pa. He taught me figures. Pa, tell him of your dreams for me. She's right, my pa said. And now I want you all to come to Maserat. See, Nicholas, you're a cowardly fool. You couldn't hold up your part of the bargain. You couldn't do right in school. You couldn't do right on Pa's plantation. Everything you try may it always be a curse to you. He sputtered and made a fist as he leapt up. Thomas bounced up too and shielded me. Kerwin, get your boy under control. We're conducting business. Fraser pushed back in his chair. Sounds like a lover spat. The ugly laugh falling from my lips made Fraser wince. Is a man a lover if he beats you bloody, cursing at you to hold still? No wonder you men pray so much to soothe your little souls, calling rape a, a coupling, a lover's spat. May God have pity on you and your household. Fraser looked down. His fingers clenched the chair. I um, I heard you bore him fine daughters, barely any color in them. If I slapped him, I'd be in prison. Better to hurt him like the priest did. Mr. Fraser. when your days are up, Remember to tell God why you ignored the screams of the women. See if he thinks the pretty children make it all right. Miss Dahl, Thomas said, we need to proceed. How these gentlemen sleep is not your worry. His eyes pleaded for my calm, but this still needed to be said. If my rights are to be denied by these men, I want them to burn for their sins. My gaze locked on Pa. He wasn't to be spared. Never would I set foot on his plantation again, unless it was to set it aflame like I'd wanted to all those years ago. As if he heard nothing, Bates lifted his head from my ledger. This is a tally of wages, but the numbers are wrong. My heart stopped. Nicholas laughed, punched into uh, my chest. That chin will lower yet, Dolly. Bates passed my book to the captain. Seems there's an underpayment. "'She's owed an additional four pence by the Foden estate. "'You didn't receive your payment for the week the good man died. "'Breathe. I could do it again. "'The past, the nightmares of my suffering, "'unwrapped from my lungs. "'I sounded like Edward's whistle-snores. "'A lot happened that week. "'I shoved the ledger to Mr. Bates. "'But nine numbers are right. You need to count again.' "'The captain tugged my hand. "'Dolly,' he said. "'Count again.' I didn't lower my voice, didn't defer to the captain, no more to any man. I pressed forward. Bates did, I heard him counting. She's right. There's due an additional four pence. The amount Miss Kerwin tabulated is right. Foden's mark is noted where she loaned him 200 pounds. I smiled and showed off my teeth. That's 441 guilders. Pa slapped a table. Of course she'd have those numbers right. My daughter would. A glance at his smile made me clutch the, arm, chair, the chair arm. All I knew was Paul left me, left me when I needed him, left me like Sells. Nicholas groaned, his face burned. This is illegal. Father, stop it. Rescind. Hush, fool. I turned to Mr. Bates. Now that the challenges are done, I need the deeds for Edward Sells, Charlotte Kerwin, Elizabeth Kerwin, Betty and me, Dorothy Kerwin. I paid the fees to manumit Kitty Kerwin. I had an agent buy her at an auction for me. The receipt is in the front of the ledger.
1: So that's a great scene. Uh, how you. did that? How did that make you feel to write that?
0: You get so many different emotions during that particular scene. Um, the, the, the end of the scene, you have the triumph, but there's the moments of she's where she's like. If they're going to deny me my rights, I'm going to tell you exactly everything that was going on in my head. I'm going to point fingers. I'm going to show the blame of this system that we're all living in. Um, and then you get that heartbreaking moment where she, the the uh, the solicitor, Mr. Bates, is like, the numbers are wrong. And she's like, no, they they can't be wrong. I'm getting cheated. This is my proof. And now you're trying to invalidate my proof. And so... There's there's so many emotions. And then finally, at the end, where Mr. Bates agrees with her and proves her right and that she's actually owed more money from uh, Mr. Foden's estate, I, I think there's a triumph in that. And mm-hmm. she's closing up business and moving forward.
1: So I can see in this scene, um, you know, several individual antagonists. There's the half-brother who's opposing her in the scene, Nicholas, who raped her. Um, there's also her father, who's her, who was her owner, who didn't really help her along the way, like, like you could have, there are husbands coming along, but then there's also, I suppose, an, you know, antagonists that are not necessarily people, right? I mean, there's the the world in which she exists. What would you def- describe as the, the biggest antagonist that, that she faced through her, through her life? Ooh,
0: the biggest antagonist. Um, I mean, the easy question would be Nicholas uh, because of the physical brutality of uh, of her rapist. Um, but the real thing is Mr. Fraser, the good guy sitting on the sidelines who just lets things happen and accepts that this is the way things are. That's really uh, the journey because there's so many people that just let things happen. This is just the way that things are. And she's battling against that. She's battling against the uh, the low perceptions of what a woman of color can do and, and what her place is. And that's her real battle because everybody wants to put her in a box. And Dorothy's breaking out of these boxes and, and showing that she, she can control her destiny. She can earn money. She can uh, raise her children um, and she can keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, and you dealt with lots of themes in this book. You had, of course, slavery. You had, you know, colonialism. You know, the rape you talked about. Um, her her efforts to be free of enslavement and to free her family, um, overcoming odds. How do you think she overcame these obstacles and became so successful? I mean, it's, it's like a one in a. I don't know what the odds would be, but for her to do this, had had it. What was inside of her that made this possible?
0: I think that she always knew that she was more than this. She was more than her circumstances. And I think that driving, um, uh, that drive pushed her forward. And then there were people, even if they were conflicted, even if they um, had their own um, wishes and desires that they felt were more important than hers, that that actually poured into her life. She, I think she was very astute. Um, her father teaching her mathematics, uh, cells, and his lifestyle teaching her about the ways of the upper crust, uh, the the society. Uh, dolls housekeepers were the best of the best. So even though she she chose you know questionable women to work for her. They were the best of the best. If they were trained by her, then you knew your the food and and the way that they would be served and and the laundering and all these different uh, tasks, they would be done to perfection. And so she, that was the atmosphere uh, that she she uh, she maintained. So you know she she's an exceptional woman. I don't think she's the only one because I discovered there is a group of women um, in um, Demerara, present- day Guyana. Uh, called the Entertainment Society, of other free women of color who uh, literally uh, would help uh, the local governor uh, of the colony whenever there were visiting dignitaries. They were responsible for the entertainment. They were Mm -hmm. responsible for holding the balls and the subscription dinners, et cetera. You would not give that responsibility when you're trying to impress uh, dignitaries to just anyone. You would only give it to people who you felt were of your same caliber in the ways that you went about serving dinners and and these sorts of things. So they they, they maintained a, a high level of excellence, or they achieved that. And, and once again, I think it, it goes back to Dahl always knowing that she was worth more than her present circumstances and finding people and getting the information and internalizing it in a way so that she could always move forward.
1: You know, it's interesting as I'm reading this book and I, I get to this one part in the book, there's an issue that comes up and I know you struggle with it because you talk about it in your end notes. Um, you know, it, it's about this, you know, the p- good people in history who do do good things, uh, but who own slaves. And I was surprised to to, to find out that uh, after all she'd overcome, that that she herself became a slave owner and she tried to rationalize it to some extent by saying she was treating them better then others were treating him gave them like a Wednesday night off and a Sunday off or something. But I wonder about that, uh, whether her rationalizations are any better or not. I mean, you know, so I just, you know, I'm sure that, could you speak to that issue? Because I'm not sure yeah. how it's, in uh, her mind she got. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, I have no way of knowing exactly what she was thinking. Uh, but there were, there were pieces that I discovered um, when you, went against the colonial authority, the the landowners, which were the landowners. Um, they made your life terrible. Um, her son-in-law um, was of Jewish faith. They made sure that his his interest on any type of borrowing was higher than everybody else's. They literally were doing things to make sure he would go out of business and bankrupt. Um, other free people of color who refused to participate in their ways were driven out, um, uh, you know, bankrupted. So she's seeing all of this going on. And in my head, I could see her rationalizing, although, you know, whether you're a good slave owner, a bad slave, you're still a slave owner. There's no excusing this. But to be in her situation, I see her rationalizing uh, that, one, She's not going to let everything that she built up be taken away by these callous individuals. And two, I think that since she knew she couldn't stop enslavement, if they were under her power, that she would keep them from the rapes and the, the, the treachery and everything that comes from other people owning them. Because when you look at the number of enslaved that she did own, it was more than she could ever put on the land. So I, in my head, and I think, you know, to, you, know uh, you know, it might be just my rosy colored glasses I want to do, to put on her. But I do think this was her way of working in the system and waiting for time to change because she knew abolition movements were, were growing. It was one of the reasons that there were so many um, upheavals going on in Demerara during that time frame. She knew in London, there was so much talk of abolition. So she, I think she knew it was going to be time. And this was her way. Of trying to protect people as best she could, um, and she and the women of um, the the entertainment side, because many of them did the exact same thing. And when you look at the amounts of land that they had versus the number of slaves, there's to me that tells me something, or at least that's what I I want to see. But once again, you know, in, uh, enslavement I, is enslavement, whether yeah. it's it's done by a black person or a white person, it's enslavement.
1: Yeah, it's one of those just uh, oddities, you know, that go into, uh, and that's that ha- that's happened in history over time with a lot of, you know, people that have done a lot of great things, and yet they were they were slave owners. Um, just but quickly before we do a few riding life questions, uh, orient us for the setting here because you know we've got the the islands down there. Where are these islands? Are they in the northern part? Or are they in the middle? The southern part of that chain in the Caribbean?
0: This is in the southern part of the West Indies, So, and you can literally see uh, her path as she's moving from Maserat to Demerara, which is below the equator, then back up to Dominica, which was the major port for all of the British ships coming in. That's where a lot of paperwork, that was naval commands. Um, then you go uh, hot, skip and jump to Granada, uh, Trinidad, and then you're back to uh, Demerara. So these are these are the southern uh, southern islands.
1: That's interesting. All right. Well, a couple of uh, writing life questions here. Um, what was the biggest difference you found in writing this kind of book of historical fiction and the 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 romance books that you were writing before?
0: In romance, you uh, are offering the readers a promise of a happy ever after. When you're writing historical fiction, you you, you got what you got right. <laughs> <laughs> People die in historical, you know, in in true life. Um, uh, you know, things happen. Um, and so showcasing the things that happen was difficult um, because there are things that I would never showcase in in a historical romance. Uh, but when you are recreating someone's life, you got to be true to the record. And I feel I was fair. I think I feel I was true to her record. Um, and, I, and I think even I think people need to see the whole totality of her life. Um in the cancel culture society, you do one bad thing and you negate that. And if we did that, then we'd have to take away all of our presidents, uh, early presidents, our George Washington, even though most people try and blame it on Martha. No, he was he was active. He was active uh, in, in, in uh, a slaveholder as well. Um, but. At the same time, you got to look at the things they did. I mean, our country would not be founded if it weren't for George Washington and the rest of the founding fathers. Um, So you have to look at history. We have to analyze all of history and we've got to know where everybody did and judge the good and the bad, Uh, but we all have to know it. And there's so many people that have been whitewashed off the screen, totally disappeared because you got to wonder why, right? why would why would Dorothy be reduced to a paragraph or 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 just completely erased um, because seeing this woman who defies so many stereotypes um I think is amazing. I think that can give so many people um hope and courage of how to get through stormy parts of their lives, but she's been withheld for so many years um it it amazes me.
1: Yeah, remarkable story, remarkable woman, and uh, you know you have published this traditionally with a with a good publisher, with uh, just a little kind of publishing question here. For years you've been publishing uh, indie, and you're doing some traditional publishing now. Do you miss any of the freedom that comes with indie publishing, or do the benefits of traditional outweigh some of that loss of freedom?
0: Um, my very first book was traditionally published, okay. uh, but when I started adding more diversity to my books, making the cast more diverse, we ran into a little bit of an issue. Um, Publishers have always liked my voice, but they wanted a different story for me. Um, They didn't think there was an audience for these other stories. And so I went into it to prove there was an audience, because if you believe in your heart that what you're writing is important, that there's an audience, then you have to invest in yourself. And so I went and I invested in myself and and uh, learned the craft as best as I could, and kept publishing these stories. And lo and behold, there was an audience for these folks. Um, and the more and more they found me, um, uh, traditional publishers came back knack- knocking on the door. Hey, would you like to write for us? We know you want to write for us, <laughs> such and such. So it's um, no one can get distribution like a traditional publisher. Um, some of the best, you know, indies um, are, are coming out of traditional publishing, but they already have access to these dis- distributions. Um, right now, um, A Duke, the Lady and the Baby is being translated in Portuguese and Romanian, uh, French and English because it's going to the UK. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's great. Yeah, the distribution side of it is uh, an interesting component. Um, and. Uh... But like you said, uh, Indy's there, and if you do it right, if, if you run up against uh, a gatekeeper that uh, doesn't want your story to be told, use it. Okay, one last question here. Um, you've written a lot of books now. Uh, you've got this big, big book out now. Um, if you could tell your younger writing self something of value that had you known it when you started into this writing world, uh, it might help your younger writing self after what you've learned along the way. Can you boil it down to anything?
0: it's gonna be okay if you keep if you keep pushing. I mean there there have been times in my career where I thought of quitting. i I was very depressed. i I'd get these horrible reviews uh, by people who who didn't know the history, um, people who uh, thought that um, somehow my writing was meant to shame them, uh, meant to, injure them or destroy some sort of version of history that they are beloved. And no, my stories are to give hope. My stories are to set the record straight in a few places, Um, but to show you that people always have found ways to love and always have found ways to survive. And I think that's what we need more than anything, is, is just to know that, yeah, things can get harsh, hard. I mean, very, very hard. But the the resilience of the spirit is phenomenal, and we can always find a way to keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, that's great. And so, listeners, um, we're going to jump over uh, now to Patreon, that's dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. It's a way that you can support the podcast, but also get access to probably about now over eighty exclusive episodes on the craft and business of writing with the authors who stick around to talk. And we're going to be talking with Vanessa about the historical novel. I might pick her brain some more about the different types of publishing and we'll get some of that in too. But uh, uh, yeah, check us out at uh, Patreon. Hey Vanessa, this has been great. Thank you for uh, sharing, um, you know, your story here and uh, for sharing the story of of Dorothy uh, and bringing it to life in this uh, book that I know took a lot of time time to put together. Uh, Thanks for being on Charlotte Rears Podcast.
0: Hey, thank you for having me. and Have me back. I'd love to come. All
1: right. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on.